This is one of the things that the 43 Group is known by and should be known in the future, that you do not wait to be attacked. You take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you. We did find ourselves in a very tricky situation, sometimes outnumbered. Anything you do to deter people from nasty things they want to do was uh, a good thing. Hello, welcome to episode 27 of Radio 43. This is the weekly anti-fascism show from Hope Not Hate, where we look at what the far right have been up to. Um, I'm Nick Spooner, down there in that there, London. Uh, Roxy and Joe, how are you two doing? Oi, oi. Yeah, not bad. L- Loki, a little bit stressed. I feel like this week I've been really busy. So. Is that dry January? Is that taking its toll on you, is it? Oh, I actually broke dry January about eight days in. Fair play. <laughs> That's a good effort. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's completely fair enough. Yeah, thank you so much. What about you, Joe? Have you been doing dry Jan or Veganuary or something? Or absolutely, absolutely not. No. Um, oh. I, I just I used to do dry January, and then I thought, why would you compound the misery of January by being sober? Mm. So yeah, that's true. Um, I so did no, I did it last year, and I was quite pr- quite proud of myself. I managed to get all the way through. I felt exactly the same at the end of it. Oh, you know what? I always I found that it, it makes me sleep better. That's definitely um, true. Yeah, but the hangovers but are so much worse when you start drinking again. Honestly, I thought I was going to die. I did it the year before last. And like that, that first hangover, honestly, it, it, ungodly. You wait till you get to my age, Roxy. <laughs> yeah, when I when I wake up when I wake up with a hangover, I kind of like my eyes open. I feel like I've been hit by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this isn't. A, this you should stop falling asleep in the road, then, Joe. Yeah, this isn't yeah. self-help meeting. So <laughs> yeah, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> on the show on the show this week we're going to be talking uh about a couple of stories related to tommy robinson um stephen yaxley lennon of course we're going to be speaking about two other stories of racism related to the, the conservative party as well um but before we before we get going uh this is the last week i think friday's actually the deadline for you to apply for our de-radicalization caseworker position so um if you're interested in that please do head to our website and you can check it out um and you could apply there um, let's get cracking because we are pushed for time this week. Um, let's get just dive straight into stuff about Tommy. Uh, before we talk about the campaign and everything related to that, um, Joe, it's uh, demonstrations on 29th. Today is, what day is it today? 26th, so three days, Friday. Um, sorry, Saturday. What's going on with the, with Telford? Any any developments there? Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, Tommy Robinson or Stephen Yatsi Lennon called a demonstration to screen his new documentary, The Rape of Britain. Um, he's going to be screening it on Saturday in Telford Town Centre on a big screen. He claims they've got a sound system for 25,000 people. So um, wow. my my guess is that not that many people will be there. Um, but it just means that the ones that are there will be listening to it very loud. Um, there's uh, They've got 120 security guards for the day. They're going to try and self-police it themselves. Um, there's been a, a real lack of energy in the movement about the event. Um, Tommy Robinson and Danny Tomo, who's organising the event, and Danny Tomo, for those who don't know, is, is kind of rose to fame as the guy who kidnapped the wrong person and went to, got arrested for it. But he's been like organising the demonstration for them. Um, much, a lot of the far right isn't talking about it too much. For Britain are going to be there. They're handing out cards and Anne-Marie Waters is going to be giving a speech. 
Um, but a lot of the rest of the far right are kind of ignoring it. So it's a bit of a litmus test for, for where Tommy Robinson is, really. They've put a lot of effort into the demonstration, done a lot of promotion. They're getting a bit desperate, aren't they, by the sounds of it? It sounds really desperate, the way they're talking about it. Please, begging people to come down. And and really, it's going to be a test to see how big his remaining support is. You know, how many people he gets down will be a really interesting marker. Um, You know, let's not refer, you know, it was only 2018 when he had, you know, 15,000 people on the streets of London. You know, massive demonstrations. It'll be interesting to see how far he's fallen since then, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um. And I suppose related to that, we should talk about um, we should talk about the the campaign we launched um, last week, which went you know it kind of went live last Thursday. Let's just set aside for a moment the revelations that you released on Monday, Joe, and let's just talk about the, that initial launch, which was on Thursday. Um, we began this process of kind of exposing what we think of Tommy Robinson's lies about his bankruptcy, and and kind of as predicted, um, his supporters haven't been hugely chuffed us for showing. Um, you know, indicating that he's a bit of a sort of lying grifter, really. So, what's what's um, what's been going on? Like, kind of, what's he said? What's Tommy Robinson said since we went live with this campaign? He's not said a huge amount, has he? No, so he's not. So, so this is the story of uh, for those who I'm sure people remember, Tommy Robinson libelled uh, this young Syrian refugee called Jamal and lost a libel case where he, he was ordered to pay Jamal 100 grand and, and pay legal fees, which uh, vast legal fees of like over 1.5 million and, and other creditors, it looks like he owes about 2 million. In the run up to that trial, he declared himself bankrupt and he also got divorced and basically said, I'm a straw man, I have no assets. So even if I lose, I'm not going to pay. Um, I hope not hate, we started an investigation um, months and months ago. Uh, Nick Wells and myself started looking into Tommy Robinson's hidden assets and just kept finding more and more and uh, millions started to rack up. And so we obviously launched this campaign, as you say, last week. And basically the idea is, is that um, we needed to raise money. So we need to raise 50 pounds to cover the costs of, of getting creditors to dig into these assets that we had found and basically to take over the, the case so that uh, Jamal can hopefully get his money back. And to be honest with you, you say, how's, how's he responded? There's been almost silence which is very unlike him. You know, there's been a few kind of sweary messages from him on, on Telegram and Gab and stuff, but actually really, normally when things like this happen, he jumps up and down, he starts gloating, he said, you know, he says he's going to hit you back and that. And it's been complete silence. So um, it's been a quite surprising response from him. Um, and sure, you know, he's uh, part of it is also they're trying to concentrate people's minds on Telford. But also, you know, this was a big campaign, as you're saying, it. like every newspaper in the country ran a story about it. It was the number one trending article on the BBC for the whole day, read over a million times. You know, it's very difficult for him to come back and say, if he starts telling people about this story, you know, it's not good for him. It, the, the story is, is that we think he's hidden millions of pounds of his supporters' money and he's put it into houses and, and businesses and all this sort of stuff. The more he talks about it, the more he draws attention to it to his supporters. And obviously those supporters, he wants to keep rinsing for money. So mm. that could be the explanation for why he's kept so quiet. There's been a bit of a coordinated swarm on our social medias, wasn't, weren't there? There was, um, I mean, the, <laughs> fa- the, the Facebook comments <laughs> on the video just absolute bin fire. Yeah, it was so funny. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Roxy will know more about it than than I did, yeah. Yeah, I got offered, um, I, I like uh, quote tweeted something Um from the Hope Not Hate page, and um, I got trolled by some fashion. They offered to piss on me, which was quite nice. I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then there's a, a few other stories from from um, from other people in the organisation. So uh, yeah, they they've been they've been quite colourful in their language and their approach. Um, I think we've kind of yeah rubbed them up the wrong way. Which yeah, exactly. What what I'm kind of interested in as well is how um uh how kind of others in the movement have have reacted to these revelations. Um, I saw one especially kind of vitriolic Telegram post from Active Active Patriot who. He seems pretty angry at, at what Lennon's been up to. Is that is that standard across the movement from what you've seen, Joe? Is are people pretty angry about about this, or are people uh, sort of t- thinking it's thinking it's just the lies from the liberal elite or whatever? So it's kind of it's really based on what what did people think about him before this, right? So those people that are the, really let's be honest, the people that are still around him a decade in, you know, over a decade now, you know, since the English Defence League days. The people who are still around him are hardcore loyalists, most of them. You know, these are people that have stuck with him through thick and thin. And so, you know, a lot of those people, no matter what we say, are not going to be shifted by this sort of stuff. They're pretty blind to evidence and facts around it. But at every stage in the last decade, you know, since his high points, he's ostracised so many people in the movement. You know, large chunks of the far right think he's a grifter. They know that he's in it for the money. They've seen what he does with donation money. You know, they've seen how he behaves and lots of people have just got no interest in him anymore. And I, I think this is why Telford's interesting on Saturday, because he's kind of consciously called out people from the old days saying, I want you there. Get me. I don't have your phone number anymore, but, oh, you know, I want to contact you. I'd love to see you there. And, and as yet, most of them have kind of shown no interest in responding. And so the, the, those sorts of groups have responded to this, as you expect. Lots of people know what he's about, even you know, with the, especially within his own movement. They've seen what he's like, the way he spends the money and all that sort of stuff. And so this just confirms it. And so, so a lot of the people that were already angry with him are just more angry at him. And he's just, he's, you know, he's got an ever-dwindling number of core supporters that, that are very hard to reach with this sort of stuff. But there's no doubt some people, you know, some people we did see that were supporters of him saying, we knew he had a few quid, but we didn't realise it was this much. And... Mm. Um, I think that'll be interesting as we start to prove more and more in the coming weeks about what we've found. Those people are going to be more and more upset as they realise just how much he's made out of the movement. Well, that's a really wonderful segue, Joe. Uh, you're professional. Um, because let's talk about the revelations that you uh, released on Monday. Or uh, You've been looking kind of, as I say, you've been sort of digging into to, to more of the details around you know, properties and and businesses and all the rest of it. And we released this story on Monday. What are the details of that one? Yeah, so basically back on 6th of November 2020, Lennon bought this huge house. This is kind of expensive. It's in this beautiful, picturesque mid-Bedfordshire town. And it's a really palatial place. And, and at the time it cost him, I think it was 705 grand to buy. So it's a big, expensive house. Um, we found out about the house and I kind of, I've been to a, kind of go and have a look at it. And it's a really nice place, really beautiful little town, kind of very picturesque. And it was a five bedroom detached property. So we're talking, it's a big place anyway. And then of course we found out that he had got some serious plans for extensions onto this place. You know, there was going to be a large home gym added. There's a games room. He's having a completely separate two-door garage like built off, off the house, like separate to the house. Um, the plans for the extensions are vast. I mean, this is going to be an enormous house. And, and we kind of spoke to, I spoke to a building expert and, and basically showed him the extension plans. Basically, like there's a two-story extension off the whole back of the house. Jesus. And they kind of said, look, this work is, is extremely expensive. It, it could easily be a quarter of a million pounds for this extension. 
Uh, and then so then we kind of looked into how much the house would be worth now. And, and it's looking like this is this is a house that could be worth well over kind of 1.1 million, at least kind of 1.2 million possibly easily, uh, depending on how it's finished. And so this is a really expensive thing. Now, of course, the house was bought in his wife's name. And obviously part of his way of, he talks about in some videos, he says, I am a straw man. I have no assets in my name. He basically admits he's put assets in other people's names. Um, but we've obviously had looked into this. We've been monitoring the situation closely and we've obviously found Tommy Robinson going to the house himself to overlook the building works, which is strange considering it's not supposed to be his house. We've got family members of his working on the house. We've got um, uh, kind of uh, kind of people that we know are associated with him, friends, etc., working on the property, him going to the property, him being at the property with his ex-wife. Um, so, you know, we're doesn't extremely look great. confident. It doesn't look great. This doesn't look great for a man that is saying that he has no money to be able to pay the Syrian refugee that he's libeled is, well, where has all this money come from for this enormous house and this enormous extension? Um so we've kind of published details of this, but, you know, there, this is not the only property, you know, we've, we've gone back years and there is a lot more to come. And also there's lots more to come around businesses and et cetera. So um, we're, what we're trying to do is basically we, each bit of this evidence, we have to stand up and then we will be, uh, we have to, we're going to present a dossier to the official receiver to say, this is what the evidence that we have, this is, we believe he has these assets. And then of course it will be in the hands of the courts to make that decision. So, I mean, that's why we're fundraising because this is obviously a very laborious and expensive research project, plus all the lawyers that we pay, we have to, to pay to do it. Um, but we're going to try and as we can get things across the line, we're going to try and start, start making sure we can tell you guys about it and publish about it. So this is just the first bit is this vast house. It's quite interesting that from what you say, it was, it, it was kind of a, a massive own goal from 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 Lennon in the sense he was doing a live was it a live stream or some kind of video mm -hmm. and he just mentioned that he'd put all these assets in other people's names and that oh, obviously got you and the others sort of pricked your ears pricked up right absolutely right so he made this video in March 2020 and he kind of says you know he's talking about the Jamal legal case and he says they're not getting paid okay you know I don't own an asset I'm I'm asset I'm a straw man and um and I thought well okay well I'll go and find it then <laughs> and um and that's what I've spent the last year doing, really, is kind of looking into this. And, and you, I mean, you will not believe, as I say, I mean, now we kind of haven't got, you know, can't talk too much about it and lots of it's with lawyers and stuff. But this is a guy that's like presenting himself as a man of the people, defending the people of Britain and all that sort of stuff. And actually, you know, he's been, he's got huge amounts of cash out of this. These houses and assets are like dream homes, you know. And, um, and he's presenting himself and he's always putting out these videos saying, I've got no money and I'm, I'm having to share a house with friends and I'm completely skinned and all this sort of stuff. And the reality of it is he's just lying to his own supporters and he's hoovering up fivers and tenors from people that, you know, believe in his cause, a cause that, you know, obviously we disagree with, but he's taking that money and then he's sticking it into these assets. And it's really, really nasty stuff. And we knew he was a grifter, but until we really looked into it, we didn't realize quite how much of a grifter he was. Hmm. And we're going to prove it. Well, exactly. More to come. So uh, watch this space. So, Roxy, you've been looking at the story about uh, Nuzgani MP and kind of wider uh, Tory racism. We've got a couple of stories here, actually. Why don't you Why don't you talk us through these? Yeah, sure. So, um, so a story broke over the weekend that Nuzgani had been uh, removed from her ministerial position because her Muslimness made people feel uncomfortable. Um, this has obviously kind of reignited discussions on on Tory Islamophobia, but you know also anti-Muslim hatred within the political establishment at large. 
So while 79% of uh, Tory members in a, in a YouGov poll done on, a, on our behalf think that Islamophobia isn't a problem within the party, um, we have found ample bits of evidence to prove otherwise. Uh, from Boris Johnson claiming that Islam is the problem in an article in The Spectator to cultural secretary Nadine Dorries claiming that hijabs and niqabs are a medieval costume that have no place in civilized society. Uh, you know, <laughs> and this is, you know, coming from the very top of the party and you know, we have produced dossiers kind of proving that this sentiment kind of goes right down to the grassroots level, councillors, etc. Um, so regarding those, you know, some people came out in support, some decided to remain silent, um, but one man decided to take a slightly uh, more public stance and defend uh, Boris Johnson and the, and the Home Office's approach to Nuzgani. Michael Fabrican, <laughs> MP for Litchfield, uh, has engaged in what I can only call a, a wild and offensive uh, couple of days, uh, in which he first kind of stated that Nusgani's claims were politically motivated, uh, and then went on LBC to kind of spout some absolute nonsense, uh, saying that Ghani was hardly, obviously a Muslim, and therefore her her kind of claims of her uh, Muslimness were, were fake. Um, I, I guess I just wanted he's to... He's such a clown, isn't he, Fabrican? We've, we've spoken oh about him on the God. podcast before, but he's such a clown in every he, department. No, he's honestly just like such a huge buffoon. And I was, I was hoping we could kind of dissect as a group how problematic that statement is of, you know, hardly, obviously, a Muslim. I mean, what are the, like, the undercurrents there, you know? What does a Muslim look like? And then also kind of what does it... What does it say about the, the state of hate in this country that a journalist doesn't immediately call him up on that, you know? So, um, yeah, Joan and Nick, I know you've been looking at this as well. Kind of what did you make of um, Nuz's allegations, but then also kind of uh, Fabricant's response to this as well? Joe, do you want to kind of come in here first? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's one of those situations where it's, it's really sad, it's sad how unsurprising it is. I have I've actually been more surprised by some of the coverage around it, which is said like you know, acting as though this is a new story, as though mm -hmm. you know, shock horror. There's Islamophobia found in the Tory Party. I mean, we've been writing about this for years. The Muslim community, of course, have been talking about this for for, for I, you know, I don't know how long, but you know, forever. Um, there's been newspaper articles about it, and so the kind of I don't know if it was faux surprise or genuine ignorance from, from lots of mm. journalists writing and talking about this saying, you know, is there a quite problem with, with Islamophobia in the Tory party? It's like, well, if you've ever looked into this issue, it's not a question. We've got weight of evidence. You mentioned some of the polling, but you know, I mean, we've, we've been calling for an inquiry for, for ages, huge amounts of Muslim organizations and individuals and, and prominent figures in the communities have been calling for investigations for a long time. It is no surprise that this happens. Yeah. And that this has happened, you know what I mean? And um, I'm glad that this has brought the issue back to the front of newspapers and, and hopefully that this will spur on some action. But, you know, let's kind of put to one side this kind of shock horror. What do you mean there's Islamophobia in the Tory party? Because it, it's either disingenuous or wild ignorance, you know? Mm, no, absolutely. Um, Nick, did you kind of want to come in there as well? I mean, just to say, I think it, you know, it's, it's broader than that. It, it runs through, I mean, I completely agree with what Joe said, but it runs right through British society, you know, and not just the government, it's in the, you know, in the media, it's in the various arms of the British state, um, you know, the, the, from the police to yeah. the, you know, the criminal justice system. So 
it, it, it's Islamophobia is I, I think it was it's Baroness Farsi who didn't did she describe it as having passed the dinner table test yeah. in this country in, two, in 2012 as well she said that right. so, you know we've been talking about this for for over a decade um and yeah as you say no you know it kind of penetrates every kind of echelon of society and and yeah as you say Joe as well this kind of faux surprise is just it's just nonsense um so we, I hope not hates response and you know I've, I've seen this elsewhere other organizations calling for this you know we want the kind of the EHRC to get involved at this point so you know it needs an independent inquiry the the Singh investigation was just a complete farce into well it didn't even look at Islamophobia specifically but all forms of discrimination so you know let's let's see what happens um in, in the coming weeks and months I suppose um what, what did you what did you make of the the the, the hardly a Muslim comment what did what was your take on that? I just think it homogenizes, uh, you know, a not insignificant community in in this in this country. And you know, it's a, it's a religion of one billion people, and you know, five percent of the British population are, are Muslim. So, what does what does mm. a Muslim look like? They're a heterogeneous group of people. Like, it's just I just think it's so ignorant more than anything else. You know what? What? What she? What does he want? Like, Nuzgani to come in with with a full burqa on? Like, is that the only way you're going to know someone's a Muslim? It's just, I, yeah, just really, yeah, just awful, awful. Yeah, <laughs> super, super ignorant. Yeah. And just last thing, I mean, it's like you're right to say, Roxy, at the, at the beginning there. Like, when we're talking, I completely agree with what you said, Nick, about this being a society-wide problem. I mean, we've got done polling that goes back a decade that has looked at the prominence of, of Islamophobic beliefs and conspiracy theories. Um, across British society, they're really worryingly high. But but when we talk about the Tory party, this goes to the top, right? I mean, you've talked about mm -hmm. Boris Johnson's comments on this. We have a prime minister that has been explicitly racist on numerous occasions, and in this case, explicitly racist against Muslim women. And it's not, it's not you know, it's kind of a mentioned in passing, etc. We're never going to tackle this problem in society or in the Tory party when it's when that sort of comment doesn't prohibit someone from being our prime minister. And so it goes right to the very top, I think. Absolutely. And I think Definitely. as well, I think we also just need to appreciate that this has, you know, real life consequences for British Muslim communities. You know, like when Boris Johnson compared Muslim women to letterboxes and bank robbers, hate crimes against Muslims went up 375% and half of those were directed at visibly Muslim women. So, yeah. you know, it's not without consequence. So, um, yeah, it exactly. needs to be called out at, at every level. Um, Precisely. So, from moving, moving on from one... Um, Tory scandal to uh, another. Um, a article came out in the Guardian uh, over the past week saying that um, the Tories have stripped the citizenship of 464 people over the past 15 years. Uh, research carried out by Free Movement found that um, yeah the citizenship had been removed because and and they did this piece of research because the government had been hiding or not hiding but not being transparent about these figures they, they don't routinely um, upload them uh, onto the government website so free movement kind of investigated it through a freedom of information um, request uh, in one case a 40 year old man was stripped of his citizenship um, he was born in London to parents of Bangladeshi heritage um, but had had his citizenship removed when when he went back to Bangladesh um, he was told um, that he was an Islamist extremist who previously sought to travel abroad to um, 
participate in terrorism related activity, despite the fact that he's, you know, he'd never been uh, charged with this previously and uh, was never arrested or questioned in relation to these claims. Um, he was made stateless for, for five years and then it was reinstated when they obviously couldn't, couldn't prove any evidence. So, you know, this is just, you know, this had real life, life changing consequences for people again. Um, and what's worrying about this news is obviously with Clause 9 um, being so actively campaigned against, um, which is a part of the Nationality and Borders Bill, you know, being pushed under the guise that it will only be used in exceptional circumstances. I think the, the trust in the government to use this with, with care um, is kind of dwindling very quickly. Um, but Joe, I, you know, just on, on Clause 9, kind of citizenship deprivation more, Broadly, is this something that's being picked up on the far right? Have you kind of seen any conversations on this? Because obviously, it's uh, I, yeah, I, I would assume it's something that they support or kind of rejoicing over. Yeah, I mean, actually, funny enough, just hot off the press, the Court of Appeal have just found it was unlawful to remove people's nationality without giving proper notice. Uh, that's literally, I think, just happened five minutes ago. Um, nice. So, well, so fingers crossed, there's an advance on that. So the Home Office are in a bit of a trouble there, and, and it looks like. Um, uh, the Court of Appeal says Parliament will have to decide whether or not Pretty Patel should be given new powers. So um, hopefully there's a bit of movement on it. In terms of the far right, most of the far right don't get into policies at a granular level like this. You know, um, They kind of create alternative policy ideas in their head, which is we would do this with immigrants, we would do that. Very rarely do these kind of specific policies and things like Clause 9, do they percolate far enough into the movement? where there's individuals that are concentrating them on enough to say we support this clause or that clause most of them don't really operate like that they just see the government as a bad thing and, and you know as a problem and, and they're always going to be too weak on it um broadly speaking where it has been mentioned it's obviously been mentioned positively um but positively with like an aghast as in of course this is so obvious that you would strip people of their citizenship yeah. um why is this a thing um so if anything they're coming at it of course unsurprisingly from the right this uh, this story, I mean, to to me, the, the the kind of logical response to this story is to say, well, these powers need to be stripped back, or uh, and or made extremely more transparent than they already are, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd say removed and also yeah, made, too. you know, and and the whole the whole thing revealed. All all of the all of these cases need to be made public, and the, all these powers need to be stripped. Um, but. The Tories aren't going to do that, are they? Because this Nationality and Borders Bill is actually advancing these powers even further, giving yeah. them the scope with which to create a whole, whole group of second-class citizens in this country, essentially. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the difficulty here is, is I mean, as I say, a lot of this has been happening in the shadows with no transparency, with no oversight, and, and that makes these things ripe for abuse. I don't think it's necessarily a completely obvious answer about what you do with people that left Britain and went and pledged allegiance to the Islamic State, um, you know, that there is a complex question there. And like some of these cases, the people went and did absolutely abhorrent things and pledged allegiance to a different state. And there's a complex question to be had there. But I think the issue with this is then taking those cases and extrapolating it out to a wider policy without any sort of transparency. And as you say, hundreds of people being in a situation where they just find out that they've been stripped of their citizenship. And that is obviously open to abuse and is already being abused. And so, you know, uh, there is a difficult question at the core of it. But the way that this is being done by the Conservative government is clearly not acceptable. But what's worrying, I think, even further than that is this 
is this developments in the nationality borders bill which will if you if somebody has dual nationality all the home office is able to to try and argue that they have dual nationality then they can make then they could make them stateless as a result of that and that, that is that's you know institutional racism in action basically yeah. And, um, and without notice, I mean that you know those those powers already exist. They've existed for for a few years, but yeah, to to do it without notice is just <laughs> flies in the face of any sort of like rationale that is that is fair or just. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, and and they're cynically clearly trying to attempt to to circumvent the courts with a lot of this stuff, right? And um, that's in a wider trend of of quite regressive policies, which are placing more power in the hands of the executive and in the powers of ministers and the government and less how powers in our institutions and our checks and balances and, and this is part of a wider problem right joe we've got one minute left so why don't you talk to us about the south end by-election very quickly yes so there is a by-election in south end uh, west um as as people know um it's coming up and we've just actually published an article about this so do kind of check it out on our website and it goes through the far-right candidates that are standing um, most of the uh, kind of mainstream parties are not standing, as we know. This is this is the by-election that happened after the kind of horrifying murder of Sir David Amos MP, which happened last October. Um, this the the election is going to be on the third of February. Just very briefly, the far right are standing in various uh, capacities. We've got Catherine Blakelock standing for the English Democrats, Steve Laws, the kind of anti-migrant hunter that that we've talked about lots on the podcast. He's standing for UKIP and has been doing lots of campaigning. Um, there's a guy called Ben Downton standing for the Heritage Party. Um, this is a kind of conspiracy-oriented uh, group that, that we've talked about a few times, and there's lots on our website if you're interested in them. Jada Franson is standing. She doesn't. She she never misses an election to lose. Um, the British Freedom <laughs> Party is um, is is kind of not currently registered with the Electoral Commission, so she's standing as an independent. Um, so she'll be down there. Usually, she doesn't do a huge amount around the elections. She just puts it on the paper and put, makes some newspapers. Uh, Graham Moore from the English Constitutional Party. This is a guy called Daddy Dragon which creeps me out. Um, <laughs> he um, He's a very strange figure. This is part of this kind of common law enthusiast. Maybe we'll talk about it on another podcast, this idea that there's a, it's big within the anti-vaccine and, and QAnon and these groups that are really interested in British common law. And you might have seen videos where people go to vaccine centres and try and citizens arrest vaccine uh, people, etc. I mean, it's all a bit mess. But he's standing there under his uh, own name, um, so that's the English Constitutional Party. And then there's one called uh, Jay called Jason Pilly, standing for the psychedelic movement, which on the face of it might sound great. But um, the, the manifesto that's been released calls for Tommy Robinson to be promoted to the House of Lords. Um, so... Well, he's definitely dropped, dropped a few tabs there, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and so it'll be... Uh, how, how serious? I mean, obviously, it's, they're not going to win, obviously, but... Um, uh, the the some of the manifestos looks pretty shady. So um, you know, if you are there, it's not perhaps a, a protest vote that you think, oh, that's a funny one. Um, I think there's something a bit nasty happening there as well. So lots of far right candidates standing. None of them are going to win, um, but some of them will be campaigning and and kind of especially Steve Laws is already out on the streets whipping stuff up. So um, uh, that if you're in the area, they're the ones to watch. Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. And if you, uh, as Joe says, please go and check that, check that article out on the website. There's some, some more details there. Um, great. We'll be back next week. And massive thank you to both of you. Very interesting chat today. Really enjoyed that. Uh, big thank you to you for listening as well. And a big thanks to Jake, uh, our producer. Um, great. Well, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. See you later, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.
cannot prevent 50 people, 50 postmen or 50 dustmen from having anti-Semitic thoughts. But you can prevent 50 dustmen forming an anti-Semitic dustmen association. Take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you.